I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. And that's the creed. Now, um, it says, after I believe in the Holy Spirit, you will read or you've heard, because some of you didn't even know what it was till we announced it, and you read it, and it says, the Holy Catholic Church, and you go, what's Steve doing? And you've been thinking for weeks, Steve's taking the church in a different direction. And you've been mad, and you've been waiting for this, okay? So let me just unpack that really quick so you can just stay seated, okay? When it says the Catholic, that is the universal. That's what that means, you all heard that from me. You're acknowledging that. Good. No emails. Okay. So it's the universal church. Um, I remember growing up. When I was growing up uh, in elementary school, uh, we did something every day at school. Uh, at the beginning, before we would go into the lesson or whatever it was, uh, we would all stand together. We'd all put our hands over our hearts and we would do the Pledge of Allegiance together. Okay, every morning, every day. And, um, and, and I remember thinking about, as I was preparing for this, because I was trying to associate it with different experiences that I've had, people coming together, saying something, uh, you know, that they're in agreement of and they're associating with it. And this was what I, you know, the thing that really stood out to me was remembering how uh, when we're there in that classroom, we're all coming from different backgrounds, different experiences, different beliefs and all of that, but we're all standing in unison and saying these words uh, together. Okay, and, and I remember my parents bringing me to a Wednesday night service and there was a kids program and they had the, the pledge to the Christian flag. They had the pledge to the Bible, to uh, the church. And, and, and we would all get up like we would at public school and get up and we would, and we would say those uh, as well together in unison. When we look at the Apostles' Creed, you guys, the Apostles' Creed, uh, it was developed early in the history of Christianity as the faith really took off and started to really grow and spread. There were Hebrew converts that needed to be taught that Jesus was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. That was their hangup. They had to get to that conclusion. Uh, many Gentiles were coming uh, to believe in Jesus. And so the church needed a way to explain its most important doctrines. And the church back then, just as it is today, was facing that dual challenge of affirming the truth and confronting the errors that they were dealing with, that were either people, opinions that they were bringing into it or, uh, or just where people were trying to pull uh, people into a different belief system. So they're, they're, they're trying to uh, establish something that affirms what's right and, and helps you identify also what's wrong. 
Okay, uh, so over the centuries, the church turned to a series of creeds and confessions of faith in order to define and defend true Christianity. So the Apostles' Creed was developed with early drafts being used before 200 AD, and then by the 500s, the creed was in its final form. Though it wasn't written by the apostles, it was meant to summarize their teachings, teachings of Scripture. Early Christians called the creed the rule of faith. Now, a creed is just a simple statement of fundamental beliefs. Um, We might think of the Apostles' Creed as like the Christian Pledge of Allegiance or uniting Christians from different backgrounds and denominations and countries uh, together. It's what we all as Christians believe. It's a summary of what the Bible teaches that narrative of God's redemptive love. But it's condensed into uh, these statements. These statements show us what is primary in Scripture. So the, Apostle, uh, the Apostles' Creed, it, it was purposely created to do those things, but then ultimately it was, it was brought about to what? To bring Jesus' followers together, right? To unify us together. To come together gathered around certain statements, and beliefs. Uh, it, it, it helps give us a, a more complete understanding of biblical teaching. Okay, uh, one of the things that we see right now is uh, in, in people's understanding of Jesus and what he calls us to do, how he calls us to live, is there's this lack of wholeness that I'm seeing across culture. In other words, we know a lot about this or we believe in that, but when it comes to the overall doctrines of the faith, what, what he's calling us to, uh, we lack a lot of understanding. Okay, and, and, and listen, I'm, I'll go right up there and be like, man, I'm, I'm as much to blame, right? I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to deliver God's word, his will, uh, and that as best I can. But what we have is uh, a watered down version, not only of the gospel, but in just overall understanding as a culture, as a Christian culture. Right When we talk about churches, I mean, there's so many people uh, who I'll, I'll be like, well, well, God's word tells us that. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a major theme, you know? But we've just heard this, this like, just this like, almost this cuddly gospel that we're just like trying to, we're, we're literally like trying to convince you of why this is gonna be so easy for you to just believe, And so what we do is we take out anything that might be hard to hear, might be difficult, might cause inconvenience, and we just highlight the nice, Jesus loves you, grace. And then just kind of do what you want if you just receive that, right? Guys, I hear this over and over. And what I love about the Apostles' Creed is it doesn't just tell us that, it gives us a broader scope of theology to help us have a wholeness so that we're not, uh, you know, um, strong in one area, but that we have a great understanding, right? Just as when you work out, you don't want to just work out your biceps. uh, You know, you've all seen that person. Uh, You want to have a full, healthy body. Okay. That's wholeness. OK, 
Okay, and, and, and so we see that the Apostles' Creed uh, helps us in uh, that by giving us these summaries of what the Bible uh, teaches. Okay, and, and um, as we think about just being well-rounded, the Creed helps us with, with clarity, right? It brings clarity to certain things, making clear who God is. You guys, how many uh, people in, in, in just, uh, as American evangelicals, how many are confused about just who God is, about, about what he's like, about what he's about? I mean, even some of you either watching online or in the room, you're like, I don't really know. Okay, and, and so by making explicit what, uh, what we do believe, the uh, Apostles' Creed guards the church against what we shouldn't believe, right? It protects us from that. And that's been, that's been huge. And, and, and it keeps us from just staying in this lane of the things you just want to talk about, that you just, uh, that, that are kind of your little thing that, that you love in scripture and you just hold on to this area. It widens the lane for us. And we all uh, need that. Um, you guys, we need help with this. This is never, this has never been about replacing scripture. I want you to hear me clearly on that. It's never been about replacing scripture, replacing the gospel. This is to help take us to a greater understanding of scripture and the gospel. Okay, so that was the purpose uh, of it. And, 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 and when you think about just the Bible, I mean, you got a million word book. Very overwhelming, amen? Okay, if you don't say amen, whatever. <laughs> We're gonna figure it out. Yeah, no, you don't. It tells, you, it tells us you don't. So um, anyway, but it literally takes this million word book and it boils it down to its essentials for us. And you guys, there is just power in knowing that when we confess the Apostles' Creed, we are declaring the truth of the Christian faith with the very words that gave early Christians hope. It literally sent martyrs confidently to their death, and it has instructed the church throughout centuries. And just how cool is it to know that when we declare that, we're, we're literally in our own language resonating with Christians around the globe right now. It's pretty special. It's powerful. Guys, each stanza of the Apostles' Creed, it begins with the Latin word credo or I believe. And in John 3.16, we, we read maybe one of the most popular, you might even see some signs today if you watch the Super Bowl, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the Greek word translated as believes here in John 3.16, it has a richer meaning than just simply understanding the facts. A much deeper, richer meaning than just, oh, I, I agree with that. I know that. No, it's much deeper. In fact, belief, uh, when we see in scripture, the belief that represents salvation, it's totally different. Right? Because when we look at scripture, to believe in something means to commit and give your trust over to it. And, and, and how, are, how, are, are, it, how is trust and commitment, how is that expressed? When you think about, when you, when you say, um, you know, that, yeah, you're, you really trust that, you're committed to that, how is that expressed? 
It's expressed where? Uh, it's expressed in our behavior. Okay, uh, every married couple, well, every couple that gets married, they stand before each other and they say some really great things. It makes some huge commitments. But what validates those words being true? Their behavior towards each other, right? So you guys, belief isn't just head knowledge. Okay, there's a lot that you believe that you don't do, that you don't, uh, that you, right? I mean, we all. Okay, uh, we read in scripture, you guys, that the demons believed in Jesus. Okay, and, and obviously they weren't Jesus followers. Okay, so that belief wasn't united with faith or trust or commitment. And so this is far more than just acknowledging or knowing that something is true. In Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Okay, that, that's huge. So where, where, where does belief come from? Where does that happen? It says the belief comes from the heart. So that's where it starts is in our hearts. It's birthed there. And so that's, uh, when we think about it's, it, this progression, it's the heart's desire to submit to the will of God that then leads me to confession. Okay, so, so, so literally I, I have understanding. I go, man, I believe this. And, in, and at the depths of my heart, it's not just that's great, that's awesome. I acknowledge that Jesus is that. No, it's now I am literally going all in. I'm surrendering. I am placing my trust, my hope, my faith in Jesus. I am confessing that it is not just something I know, that it is now my life. And we see salvation. Okay, in, in Matthew 15, 8, Jesus literally said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay, so, so it's more than just understanding, information, knowledge. It's our heart's affections toward God. And what else does this tell us? Well, true faith produces works. True faith produces works. Now, Works don't produce faith. So let's not get it twisted, okay? It's not like, uh, my, it's not like my works uh, are what give me salvation, okay? No, 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 no. Jesus saved you in spite of your lack of works, right? Uh, so, so salvation isn't because of work, but what we see in scripture is that works validate that my belief is true, right? If, if, if I say this, you guys, and you hang out with me this afternoon and the next day, and there is nothing in my life that would point to me believing what I just preached, what would you say about me? Steve, you're, you're a fraud. Your actions aren't in alignment with what you say. Or you hang out with me and you see how I act and, and, and you walk away going, man, like, no, he's the real deal. Like what he says, that's what he believes. That's how he lives his life. 
You guys, in James chapter two, verses 21 through 23, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God, right? So his belief was much more than just something that he said, I agree with that, right? It literally led him to obedience and the obedience, the walking by faith, pointed to the validity of what he said he believed. Okay, he was asked to do what, if you're a parent, you pray never happens. In fact, you don't even want to think about it. Offer your son up to me. Okay? Oh, didn't hear that clearly, God. You want to say that again? Because I know that's not your intent. Okay? There's a reason he hasn't asked me. But Abraham takes this incredible step of faith. He says that, that shows you what he believes, where his belief is at. It validated his faith. Okay? Jesus in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And so you guys, when the early church recited the Apostles' Creed, it was simultaneously, I love how some writer put it, this was simultaneously their greatest act of rebellion and their greatest act of allegiance. You know why? Because uh, literally you got to understand where this is coming from historically, right? To declare this, they weren't, they weren't declaring it as they were like hiding in their rooms, under their beds and going, okay, let's say it. Like they were saying it in settings like this together in unison. And you guys, that culturally was an act of rebellion, 100%. Because to, to say that, uh-uh, you're going against everything culture's saying. And uh, you're, you're essentially saying, nope, I don't believe in Caesar. Caesar is not salvation. Jesus is. Guys, that doesn't work out for you when you study history, physically. Okay, so, so by declaring this, this was an act of rebellion against what culture was saying. Culture was saying how you had to live, uh, what it looked like to have gods, to worship those gods uh, who gave you the authority for your life. This is an act of rebellion against all of that. And it's also, as it just as this act of rebellion, it is an incredible act of allegiance to where you stand together as a crowd and declare this is what we believe. Man, knowing the cost, right? Knowing that this could cost you your life, your family, your situation. That's, a, that's incredible. It, it almost makes me feel pathetic when I can read this in a movie theater and say it and no one cares, right? It's not costing me anything. We all say it together. Uh, people in other theaters would just think something happened great. Okay, but, but no, this was so huge. This was so uh, important for the early church. By saying this, they were stating, we don't believe the story that our culture is telling. 
In the early church, uttering the word credo, uh, I believe, meant identifying with the gospel. And often new believers recited the Apostles' Creed during their baptismal. So right before they would take them down in the water, uh, they, would, they would say the Apostles' Creed. They would say it back to them before they would uh, take them and baptize uh, them. We're not gonna do that to you, so you're okay. You're like, I haven't memorized it yet. You gotta stop everything. (laughs) Are they gonna do that today? Uh, No, okay. Um, But you need to believe that it's true. So much so that they did. They, They would repeat that. And literally they were identifying themselves as citizens of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God and they were welcomed into the fellowship of the saints. You guys, this is, this is the intro. This is where we unpack where we're going. And you guys, I, I can't stress this enough because we're gonna walk through doctrine in these coming weeks, okay? Now, some of you, you are so geeked out by that and so excited. You've been waiting for years and you're like, finally, Ecclesia, finally. <laughs> Others of you are like, we only do books of the Bible. <laughs> I knew he was gonna do this. And then some of you are like, are we the Catholic Church now? <laughs> what are we? Right? But guys, doctrine is essential. It's vital. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about it in the coming weeks. We all need this, but this may be one of the most important points, if not the most important point of the whole day today. You guys, you need to know that doctrine is vital, but doctrine must lead to obedience. Okay, doctrine must lead to love and obedience because one of the things that I see, and it's it's because we're in a time of extremes, amen, for better or for worse. But what I see across the Christian landscape is for some, the doctrines have been like literally putting up a dam or building a fortress around you for your doctrines. And, 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 and that's what it is. That's what it stays as. And so there's nothing, there's no obedience or love flowing out of the purpose of the doctrines, but you've built up this wall of doctrines and it may be right. It may be all the right belief system, but what do you have? You've got a fortress. You've got this dam that's not allowing the flow, the proper flow, flow that needs to happen. Doctrine should lead to obedience. It should lead to love. That's the response. So you've got one, one side over here that they're like all about this, but they're, but man, nobody's feeling that way. Uh, their church is like this huge fortress. You walk in and you go, ah, okay. I don't know if I believe. Well, you, if you don't like get out, you know, and it's very clear where we're at and what you need to, where you need to be at. Right. But then you have the other side that's like, ah, we don't need doctrine. Whew. Jesus loves you. That's enough. That's a great message. I've said it. But, but, but guys, doctrine comes from him. 
So when you, when you go, when, 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 when we say, oh, we don't need any doctrine anymore, you know, Apostles' Creed, that was great, Steve. I'm glad you're teaching us history. Way to go. Like, uh, it was good for them, but now we're different. Culture's different. And, um, you know, what I believe, uh, you know, because of the cultural moment we're in, it doesn't matter as much, right? It's not as big of a deal. And, and we're different now than they were then. And so I don't need that. And so what you are is literally, you're just like a flood. Okay, so there's no, there's, there's, there's no like actual uh, uh, doctrine leading to the things of God that are right. You don't know. You're just like, whatever, I'm riding the wave of the spirit. Okay, and, 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 and so whether that's truthful or not, whether that aligns with God's word or not, it doesn't matter because your favorite influencer told you that, um, whether it was on social media, a podcast, or, and this is the other thing I've seen that, oh, is so scary, is I hear more and more people tell me about either the gospel or that they should be doing that or this person should be doing that or you should be doing that. And I'll go, well, where, where are you getting that from? This person, this pastor, and I'm like, hmm. So your test of the gospel is them? Your test of that is just because they're the best flavor that fits you? Boy, that's dangerous. I'll tell you right now, because I am a human, humans change in, in a lot of different ways. Guys, you can't base your faith, your opinion, uh, what is of the gospel or not based upon your favorite trending pastor? Unless it's me. No, I'm kidding. Um, but you guys, you, you, have to, you, you have to gain understanding. You have to know uh, doctrine. But you guys, uh, the doctrine has to lead to obedience. It has to lead to love. You, doctrine without love and obedience, you know what that produces? It produces the church of Ephesus. That's what it produces. The Bible warns us. Guys, the church of Ephesus was amazing when you study it. They, they literally turned the local economy upside down for Jesus. It wasn't like this little movement. No, literally there's a riot. The whole city in this huge amphitheater breaks out because they are, they are delivering this crushing blow to this huge, uh, this huge part of their economy, the idol-making business. And so literally this church, as it's exploding, is turning the economy upside down to the point where there's riots and we're sitting there reading about it and we're like, oh, oh, that church, right? Um, and, and guys, they had great pastors. Uh, who are their pastors? Uh, Paul, may have heard of him. Timothy, the who's who, right? One of them like wrote what, you, what we're reading, like that, that was their pastors. Some of you've been praying for Paul or Timothy and you got me, right? Like that was their, so you can't go, well, their pastors let them. Let them. They got the pastors. Guys, they did great deeds. They had great doctrine. They had passion. But what do we read about them in the book of Revelation? They had abandoned their first love. Isn't that a scary thought? You guys, doctrine needs to be the pathway to obedience. If we just highlight doctrine alone, it creates this 
mentality where now I approach scripture and I approach other people with binoculars. So now I pick those up because it's not about application. It's about who believes, whose beliefs align with mine and with the man with the binoculars. I can see a lot in other people and I enjoy seeing where they're wrong. And I get to just bring that in and expose it and reveal it. And the problem with that, you guys, is you lose out on God's word being what it's designed to be. It's not designed for binoculars for you. It's designed to be a mirror that reflects where your heart's at. Guys, the moment I stop reading this and saying, God, I don't know, probably not gonna like what I see here, but do what you gotta do. At the moment I stop allowing this to be a mirror into the truth of where I'm at, of who I am, of my heart, my sin, guys, that's when I become this person with solid belief and doctrine, but literally viewing everybody else with binoculars and I am completely inactive. And there's no transformation happening in my heart, in my life. Look what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. It says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. It's at work. So, so it's active. It needs, God's word needs to be at work in me. So it's not just something that I acknowledge, I believe, and now I put you on the shelf, leave you in the app, and I'm good. No, this is to be actively at work in my daily life. That's an expectation I have. So when I read it, that's an expectation. When I am living out, whether you're in college, uh, high school, middle school, elementary school, uh, you're at work, uh, you're retired, uh, wherever you may be at, daily it should be at work in you. And you should expect that. And you should look for that. Okay, at every spot. And, and, and so that's the desire, that's the intent. It was always meant to be at work in you. And guys, we are living in a day and age during a time where the lines between reality and fiction, truth and false have never been so blurry. Oh, it's so hard. It's so blurry out there. And we've got this like cultural pressure to conform. We've got like, like literally, and then we have uh, in response to what culture is saying, to what culture is pushing, we have entire Christian denominations giving in to what culture is pushing and they're literally surrendering the fundamental truths of the faith. And you guys, it's in this surrender that many churches have lost their identity as God's people. And in this post-Christian culture, because we are in a post-Christian culture, it is no longer, oh, I just go to church because you're supposed to. We are in a post-Christian culture. And in this post-Christian culture where people just splice together their faith from all kinds of people that are really good, sound really convincing, say the right words. And we literally splice that together. Uh, we're in this day and age where they're doing that, but refusing to acknowledge or live by the authority of the Bible. 
Guys, we need to be taught doctrine now more than ever. Amen? Okay, and, and like I said, for anyone, that's, for anyone that's just like, well, I hold no creed but the Bible, and Jesus is my only creed. You guys, listen, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of what God's Word teaches. It is an extension of, of Jesus and who he is to bring clarity and purpose, to, to re-inform you, to keep you in the right guardrails that you need to be on. It helps you to recognize false Christianity, things that are not in alignment with uh, God. And, and, and I know for some, they're like, well, I don't wanna go on this. You know why? Because uh, I don't want a faith with doctrines because that just sounds limiting and I wanna do what I want, right? Ultimately, that's what that points to. I don't want authority from that. I just want it to help me. I want the encouraging verses that tell me it's all gonna work out, that, that God's gonna come get me and we're all gonna be okay. That's what I want, right? But, but there's doctrine in this. It's rich, it's beautiful, it's truthful, and it helps you and it keeps you going and it reminds you of who God is. You guys, you just need to know that Jesus preached doctrine, <laughs> He revealed himself in truth claims, okay? Uh, he identified himself as the son of man and, and demonstrated his deity. He referred to himself throughout the book of John as who? I am. That's very important, okay? He repeatedly said that. You guys, a doctrineless Christianity is a contradiction to what Jesus ultimately commissioned his followers to go and to do when he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what, mm, what else did he say? He said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So there's more. So when we say this doctrine, one historian wrote, doctrine is what the church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of the word of God that we are in need of. And guys, any church that has a belief or any teachings or has worship of any kind has doctrine. The question is, is it the right doctrine? Is it the right teachings? And you guys, the Apostles' Creed stands as a timeless filtration system for the Christian faith. And for almost 2,000 years, it has provided the church with a worthy summary of core Christian doctrine. And when they would state that creed, they were rejecting the narrative in their day and placing their allegiance on the God of the Bible. And guys, um, just as they said that, I tell you what, I don't want to live out my life and my ministry believing the nature that culture is telling me right now. Culture is saying a lot of stuff, you guys, that oh, it just doesn't line up. And now more than ever, we need to be reminded of what the word of God says, what it's about, Jesus's message, and, and the completeness of it. Not the pieces that I like and don't like, but the completeness of it. And so we have this opportunity during this moment in time to stand firm, stand together on the essential truths of scripture. And let me read these again. I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is so rich. We're going to go through it each week, and it's going to just blow up on Easter. It's going to be amazing. And, but guys, we're going to walk through this, and, 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 and people are going to get saved. Maybe even today, people are going to make a decision. I, I love how Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that your eyes are open. Some of you, your eyes have never been opened. You're like, I've been seeing. No, not spiritually. Right? It's just been, it's just been, I do what I do. I should do this, so I do it. But your eyes aren't open to the gospel. Your eyes aren't open to the full counsel of God for your life. Uh, you haven't surrendered your life to him. And so right now, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do it. But for all of us, man, we need to define what we believe. And we need to know because your cages are getting rattled right now. And you got a lot coming at you at an unprecedented rate. So we need this, okay? Let's pray.